you have your Bible this morning, turn with me to Psalm 8. Uh, one last time, we've been finishing off the summer uh, with Psalm 8. And we come this morning to either the first verse of it or the last verse of it, whichever you choose, for they are exactly the same. Uh, You have all of the songs that we sang this morning reflect on the connection between the nature of God and the nature of the created order, and that is the emphasis of Psalm 8. It opens and closes with a statement about God. And in the in between those two statements, those two identical statements, is sort of a sandwich dealing with God's relationship with the created order more generally and God's relationship with humanity in particular, the nature of that created order and the nature of man, but as we read uh, Psalm eight uh, this morning, do notice that it opens and closes with an identical statement as to the nature of God Himself, and a call for us to praise Him as we've been doing this morning in song already. So let's stand together, Psalm eight. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory above the heavens. Out of the mouth of babies and infants you have established strength because of your foes to still the enemy and the avenger. When I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him and the son of man that you care for him? You have made him a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You have given him dominion over the works of your hands and you have put all things under his feet all sheep and oxen, and also the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the fish of the sea, and whatever passes along the paths of the seas. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's look to the Lord in prayer. Father in heaven, we call all the earth to praise you, to shout to you, to serve you. The psalmist commands us, commands all the earth 
Serve the Lord with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Father, on this Labor Day weekend, when we think of the many callings that you have given to us, various lives that you have, by your providence, led us into, may we hear this word of application for our daily lives. what we call our careers, our work, our labor, our calling. Whether we eat or drink or whatever we do for a living, we not only do it unto your glory, but the psalmist tells us that we ought to do it with gladness. Serve the Lord with gladness. Come before him with a shout of thanksgiving. Lord, as we remind ourselves week by week, we are all about knowing you and making you known. And the psalmist tells us that he's about exactly the same thing and calls us to this precise calling. Know that Yahweh, he is God. And he made us. And not we ourselves. That we are his people. And the sheep of his pasture. O Lord, use this hour to enable us to know in a fresh way that you are God. You are the one who has made us. That we are your people, a people with a particular relationship with you. In joy and sorrow, in all of our difficulties and trials, we are with you. We pray that at the end of time, we would all be found among your people, that we would indeed enter your gates with thanksgiving, that we would enter your courts with praise, that we would give thanks to you, and that we would bless your name for who you are and what you have done. For you are good, O Lord, and your steadfast love endures forever. And from one generation to the next, you will be found faithful to your people. Whether in joy or in sorrow, you will be found faithful to your people. Enable us to rest in that faithfulness and in that steadfast love we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Psalm 8, as we said, 
Psalm 8 has big piece in it about the nature of the universe. And Psalm 8 has a great piece in it about the nature of humanity. Like a theological sandwich cookie. With this on the top and this on the bottom. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. Verse 1. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth, verse 9. It's a psalm that begins and ends with God. The name of God. The majesty of God. The Bible opens... In the beginning, God. That is, when everything that has a beginning, like the universe, begins, God is already there to begin it. The end of Genesis chapter 1, the other theme. So God created man in his own image. Verse 27. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. The explanation of the universe, God. The explanation of the nature of man, God again. The end of all these things, The aim of them, God again. And hence, the psalm beginning with God and ending with God. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. See, the Christian claims to know these fundamental things. It's bold to stand up and say that We know what the nature of the universe is, but we're called by God to say nothing short of that. We know what the nature of the universe is. It's a a creation of the living God. We know what's most important and unique about humanity. Human beings bear the image of God. Really big, fundamental questions like that, we know the answers to them, because we know God. Now, a secular society scoffs at that. Oh, how arrogant, how foolish, how bombastic to think that you know such things, nobody knows such things, but but scoff as it will. It's simply the psalmist's presupposition, and it's been the presupposition of the Christian church since it began, founded in Jesus Christ, who knew the nature of the universe and the nature of man and has encouraged us to know the same. Remember how Jeremiah put it in Jeremiah nine twenty three and 24, thus says the Lord, let not a wise man boast in his wisdom, nor let a mighty man boast in his might. Let not a rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts, boasts in this, that he understands 
and knows me, that I am the Lord who practices steadfast love, justice, righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, declares the Lord. That is, for in these things, understanding and knowing God, this is what God himself delights in. God delights in it if you increasingly understand him. God delights in it as you come to know him better and better. Thus declares the Lord. Last word in that little Jeremiah passage is the first word in Psalm 8. The Lord. In our Bibles, generally capitalized L-O-R-D, reflecting It's sometimes pronounced this way in the Hebrew Bible, Yahweh. Yahweh, the covenant name for God. Yahweh, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. State our thesis for this morning this way. We can know God and be in personal relationship with him. We can know God and be in personal relationship with him. Four statements we'll make over this single little sentence. Uh, Four headings pulled out of just sort of isolating the sections of Psalm 8.1 or Psalm 8.9, whichever you care to look at, because they, as I say, are identical. So we start with this. We know God by name. We know God by name. O Lord. O Lord. Or Yahweh. Our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Now that particular name for God takes place in the Old Testament just over 6,800 times. 6,800 times. Yahweh. The Standard Bible Dictionary scholar by the name of T. Reese says this about it. It is the personal Proper name par excellence of God. It is the personal proper name par excellence for God. Now he gets that idea from the text that Jim read to us this morning from Exodus 3. Exodus 3, beginning in verse 13, Then Moses said to God, If I come and speak to the people of Israel and say to them, The God of our fathers has sent me to you, and they ask me, and here it is, What is his name? What is his name? Here's what Moses wants to know. What shall I say to them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, say this, 
to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel. Yahweh. Yahweh. The God of our fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. I am Yahweh. Seems to be some sort of connection between the two. Uh, Those scholars argue on and on and on about what it may be, and there's a lot of complications to it. But the point, the point of it, I am Yahweh, the ultimate, is the presupposition of everything in the Bible, right? Back, back again, this is a creation psalm, in the beginning, God. In the beginning, God. Uh, in the beginning, God is already there. I've mentioned quite a number of times when Our oldest was about two years old. We lived out in the country. I served a country church in northwest Iowa. And our our house and the church building were probably a third of a mile north of Highway 3 on a gravel road. And after supper at night, uh, I would just take my oldest daughter and we would slowly uh, walk down to Highway 3 and back. Uh, She was a very verbal child at that age, and so we would talk constantly all the way down to the highway and back, mostly with me taking and answering questions of one kind or another, and I would sometimes then we would lead over into this sort of of, of questions, and, and, and then she would just carry the sequence on. So, who made the grass? God did. Who made the clouds? God did. Who made the trees? God did. Who made the barn? Little requires a little more explanation. Ultimately, God made the people who made the wood. Who made, and we, we'd, we'd, we'd go through all of that because we had time um, walking uh, up and down this road. And, and then, of course, at a fairly early age, whether she was still two, she might have been three. Okay, who made God? Right? Every one of your kids have probably asked you that question at some time if you've ever sort of walk them through this. Who made God? It's a really fundamental question. And the answer is, no one made God. It's right in his name. I am. In the beginning, when everything that has a beginning began, God's already there. He just absolutely and simply is. No one made God. He's as far back as you can go. He's as ultimate a place as you can get to. That's the sense of this name. Oh Lord! Oh Yahweh! Oh 
great I am. Tell them, I am sent me to you. Tell them, Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, sent you. That's what you say. That's what you say. Now, I hope you noticed in the, in, in the opening song that we sang this morning, right? It's very, very uh, Psalm 8-ish um, in its creation orientation, especially early in the psalm. But, but where does the psalm go with all those creation imagery? It doesn't go to Yahweh. It goes to Jesus. It goes to Jesus. Well, what were they thinking? Well, they were thinking that they've read the New Testament. They were thinking that they've listened to Jesus. Think of this. Go from Psalm 8 to John 8. John 8, 56. Your father Abraham rejoiced, Jesus says to them. They're complaining to him because he has made himself seem possibly even more important than Abraham, and they've called that into question and wondered whether or not he's a little over his head, and so this is the close of that exchange. Your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day, and he saw it and was glad. And the Jews said to him, You are not yet 50 years old, and you have seen Abraham. And Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. I am. And then they decided to kill him. Because they understood him to be doing exactly what the writers of the opening hymn we sang this morning were doing. Equating Yahweh and Jesus. That's what Jesus was doing. Before Abraham was, I am. Tell them, I am has sent me to you. But more than that, Jesus is also making connections to this sort of idea from Isaiah 43, 10, because he's the Messiah who surprisingly turns out to be God himself. Uh, but that's the New Testament doctrine. Messiah turns out to be the second person of the triune Godhead. Isaiah 43.10, You are my witnesses, declares the Lord, and my servant whom I have chosen, that you may know and believe me and understand that I am he. Before me, no God was formed, nor shall there be any after me. God is talking. I am he. Jesus says, before Abraham was born, I am. Verse 13 of Isaiah 43. Also henceforth, I am he. There is none who can deliver from my hand. I work. And who can turn it back? I am Yahweh. We know God by name. Yahweh. The Lord. 
Capital L-O-R-D, as it's printed in our Bible. Name of God, the Lord. Secondly, we know God, that God, within personal relationship. He says it so simply, O Lord, and then just personal pronoun, our. O Lord, our Lord. Our Lord, the self-existent God, related uniquely and personally to a group of people. Our Lord. Our Lord. Plural, personal, pronoun. Now David elsewhere, he will refer to his relationship with God with a singular personal pronoun. For most of us, it's the most recognizable psalm in all of the Psalter. Psalm 23 opens. Same name, Yahweh. Yahweh. Yahweh, Lord, capital L-O-R-D, Lord, the one shepherding me. Said many times, it's a participial construction in Hebrew. Lord, the great I am, the one shepherding me. The one shepherding me. When I look at the heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon, the stars, which you have put in place, I ought to be reminded that the creator of that, he's the one shepherding me. He's our Lord. But even more intimately, more individually, he's the one shepherding me, shepherding his people. Middle of Psalm 23. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For you are with me, the Lord, shepherding all along the way. Group that meets on a Zoom call Saturday mornings, we read a little Greek and Hebrew together, and one couple, now for the most part, they live in Missouri, so that's why we're on Zoom, because they've moved away. They had a 37-year-old son. He died of cancer this week. And his, his dad was sending out texts throughout the week as to what was going on in their lives. These, these texts were first-hand accounts of a group of people walking through the valley of the shadow of death together. That's what they were. Plainly, that's what they were. Here's what's going on where we are in the valley of the shadow of death. And David says, 
Well, we're all going to be there eventually. We're all going to be there. And if you know who's with you when you're there, it won't be easy, but it'll be all right. It won't be painless, but it'll be all right. He says, When I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Yahweh, the great I am, the one shepherding me. We know God personally, like that, like that. Thirdly, we know God as majestic, as magnificent. How majestic is your name, O Lord, our Lord, name of God, personal connection, How majestic is your name in all the earth? Uh, You look that up in the lexicon, uh, the the favored um, synonym for majestic would be mighty. So something that's majestic is mighty. Uh, Both of them, of course, they're they're impressive words. That's That's a mighty Wave is what we're going to go to, Psalm 93. That's a mighty wave. That's an, a majestic wave that you're looking at there. Uh, this word re- used repeatedly in Psalm 93.4. Mightier than the thunders of many waters. Mightier or more majestic than the waves of the sea. The Lord on high is mighty, or he is majestic. And you say, well, that's kind of an underperforming metaphor there, waves of the sea. You know, like, okay, God is mightier than the waves of the sea. I mean, they're they're fine, but they're they're not that big a deal. They're not that big a deal. Um, Eighteen years ago, when... uh, we went to Hawaii for our 25th wedding anniversary. We went to the Big Island, and uh, uh, and, and mostly just uh, did beach sort of stuff. But certainly took some trips. And one day decided to do uh, even on the Big Island, you can easily drive all the way around it in in one day, uh, and you and you go from you know uh, you know beaches and volcano ash to. Uh, you know, the, the northern beaches and then into rainforest and then into the Volcano National Park there where you can walk out and stand next to a lava flow. And it's pretty hot near a lava flow if you've never uh, been near one. Um, and then you just circle your way back. We started out in Kona and then we ended up in Kona on, on the big island uh, and as we went by, we, we drove down to the southern tip of Hawaii. And I don't know what was going down there that day, but what it looked like that day was that 
the waves were competing with each other from two directions, so that they're just smashing up against each other. And the swells off of this rocky coast, which really cliffs, there's people fishing off of the, uh, uh, the edge of these uh, uh, cliffs. I, I mean, they, they, they couldn't catch anything super big because they had to bring it up about 18 feet or so uh, to get it above the rocks where they, they were. Uh, and they weren't catching anything that I could see anyways. But these, these waves, they were, they were impressive. You say, well, yeah, the metaphor still doesn't work that much. Yes, but it would work. It would work instantly if suddenly you were in an 18-foot rowboat inside of them. Inside of them. Because then you'd be wondering whether you're going to survive them. How in the world you're going to survive them. You would be. And I don't know if you could or not. I mean, it was... It was it would sort of give you the creeps to just think about falling in there for a second. You felt you'd never get back out. It, it was impressive. We see this is the only way you can think about God. We never stand. We are never actually. This is how we often feel. This is how most people imagine it all the time. We imagine when we're thinking about God, we're standing safely on the outside looking at him. We're never there. You're never on the outside of God looking at him. Never. You've never been there. You'll never be there. You're always in the waves. You're always in him, inside of him, dealing with him really, really directly. Really directly. How majestic is your name? Remember the psalmist makes precisely that point. Psalm 139. Where can I go from your spirit? Where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, there you are. If I make my bed in Sheol, there you are. Question is, how do I get outside of God so I can look back at him? Can't be done. No matter where you go, He's already there. He's already there. You're constantly inside of him. It's one of the majestic things about him. He's everywhere. He is, as we say, omnipresent. He's omnipresent. He is omnipotent. Psalm 115, 3, our God is in the heavens. He does whatever he pleases. Simple statement. God can always do whatever he wants. Whatever he wants. You never know exactly what he's going to do. He can always do whatever he wants. He does whatever he pleases. It's what the angel Gabriel said to Mary, you remember, when Mary couldn't understand, like, oh, I'm going to have what? I'm going to do what? No, no, I don't think you understand. And Gabriel basically says to her, no, no, you don't understand. For nothing shall be impossible with God. 
Nothing shall be impossible with God. He's omnipotent. You don't know what he's going to do. But you can know this. He can do whatever he pleases. He will do whatever he pleases. You can know that for sure. For sure. And then there's God's Omniscience. He knows everything. He knows everything. Context, we've mentioned this text each of the three times. That's why I came back to it for the third time. Matthew 10, 30, 31. But even the hairs on your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore. The context is fearful situation. People thinking that they might wipe out the, the people of God. And Jesus says, oh, don't worry about that. Don't worry about that. Don't worry about those who can only kill your body and can't do anything to your soul. Don't worry about them. Don't worry about them. But we do worry about them. We worry about a lot of things. We've got a lot of serious things to worry about. We really do. We really do. Overwhelming things. Frightening things. Um, so what's, what's Jesus talking about here? Well, he's talking about this. When we are in those frightening situations, what does it feel like? It feels like God must have forgotten us. He must have. He wouldn't be doing this. He couldn't be doing this. He wouldn't have brought us here. He wouldn't have taken this, and he certainly wouldn't have taken that. He wouldn't do that. But he would, and he does. But he certainly hasn't forgotten you. Not only does he know about the difficult situation that you're in, Jesus says, He knows it so intimately that he's aware of the number of the hairs on your head. So nothing that's happening is outside the scope of our previous point, whatever he pleases. You trust him, you hang on to him. Your father in heaven, steadfast love and faithfulness. It's compatible with a lot of strange things. How majestic is your name? Fourth and finally, as we close, we know the God of all the earth. Oh Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in, in all the earth. In all the earth. This is the only God there is. He's the one who created everything. All the other gods aren't gods at all in any real name. Hard to say sometimes what the Old Testament has in mind when it refers to these other gods. Is it just the practice of pagans, is it demonic activity. Uh, sometimes it's the rulers of the present age under the guidance of demonic activity. Um, uh, but whatever it is, there's only one God is in the heavens who does whatever he pleases. There's just one. 
He is God in all the earth. He's the only one really worthy of the name God in all the earth. And everyone knows he's there for the reasons we've just been talking about in Psalm 8. We mentioned this two weeks ago, Paul's words in Romans 1. For what can be known of God is plain to them. That is, everybody in all the earth. What can be known of God is plain to them. Because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made so that they're without excuse. Everybody knows he's there. They all know he's there. Everybody. Professing atheists, they know he's there. Inescapable. They all know he's there. My favorite 20th century theologian, Carl Henry, wrote this again about the connection between that God and Jesus and hope in the midst of such of a world as we live in with this God of all the earth. Henry wrote at the very outset of the New Testament, it locates in Old Testament prophecy the remarkable name of the promised Redeemer. God with us, Matthew 1.23. The words recall at once not only the Septuagint translation of Emmanuel in Isaiah 7.14, but also Yahweh's name as revealed to Moses. Present is what I am. Present is what I am. The Gospels offer us in a word, Yahweh, unchangeably faithful to his covenant engagement. The present I am, the incarnate God. Jesus, who promised at the end of Matthew's Gospel, and I will be with you all the days, even to the days, even to the end of the age. So what was God doing with my friend's family this week? I don't know. They don't know. Nobody knows. But what we do know, what we must know, is Jesus was there. all week long. Jesus was there. The present I am. Jesus was there. He's always there with his children. Always. Always. And if you know him as your Lord and Savior, then ultimately, you're nothing to fear in relationship with the great I am. Nothing to fear. God is there. Yahweh is there in his son, 
Jesus. Apart from him, there's no hope in the world. Wow, come on. Doesn't sound very pluralistic. We're a pluralistic society. We are. We're also a pagan society. We're also a godless society. Not much comfort in that. Remember how Peter put it in Acts 4.12. There is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Do you know him? Are you able to say this morning, the Lord our God, or personalize it a little further, are you able to say, the Lord is the one Shepherding me through all the trials and difficulties, and they can be overwhelming of life. But I know this the Lord is the one shepherding me. Oh, Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Let's pray. Father in heaven, I ask that you would enable us to rest in your promises, in your assurances, in your person, in your being. in this sinful world most people completely lost they don't know where they are they don't know that it's your world not in detail they don't know who they are they don't understand that they bear your image and that you have made them capable of relationship with you and capable of everlasting life and of everlasting death. They tell themselves they don't know that. But in one sense, they do. But Lord, we, by your Spirit, know you that we are personally connected to the one whose name is majestic in all the earth Yahweh Jesus the great I am we rest in that knowledge and hope in Jesus name Amen